0: Hello, and welcome to the Jewish Mother Me podcast. This is the podcast that ponders the question: Jewish mothers, should every home have one? My name is Angela Epstein. I'm Lynn Dover. And, I'm and together we ponder the great Jewish matriarchs who came before us to see if there's anything from their wisdom and humor that we can import into our lives and your lives and make the world feel a little bit sunnier. And today we are absolutely thrilled to have as our guest the one and only, the legendary Graham, oh. now, Graham uh, obviously English singer, award-winning songwriter, musician, best known as the author or co-author of some of the songs that were the soundtracks of our lives. And um, we're really, really glad that you're talking to us today, but also seen through the prism of your late Jewish mum and the influences you may have had from her and other Jewish mothers you may have known. Welcome to the podcast. Hence, first of all, Your late mum was Betty. If you were to describe her to somebody who'd never met her, how would you do so?
1: My biggest fan.
0: (laughs) The real Jewish
1: mother. Real Jewish mother. A great publicist, archivist of scrapbooks that go back to the very beginning of my career, which are absolutely wonderful, painstakingly and lovingly put together and wonderful memories of her throughout my life. But God help you if you hadn't heard of 10cc, I'll give you an example of that if you like. We went to a, a party at a friend of ours, and I was talking to somebody with my and my mum was by my side, and this lady said to me, "You know what do you do?" I said, "Oh, I'm I'm in C and the woman said, um, oh, I don't know 10CC. My mum said, you've never heard of 10CC. <laughs> as if like everybody in the world had definitely heard of us and uh, it was uh, some sort of abomination to not have heard of us. So uh, my mum couldn't believe that there was no one that had heard of 10CC.
0: Was she a very strong personality, even before sort of all the the, the whole issue with 10CC or the, or the success you had before that with, with the songwriting as much as anything? Was Was, was she, when you were growing up, before you know obviously you became a well-known person um was she that kind of showbiz mum I mean it in a kind way uh that was there saying you know my boy he can do these things
1: she was quite showbizy actually and quite theatrical of course she used to act in my dad's plays and uh she responded very well to the fact of she loved going to the theatres she came to lots of our gigs I mean in the early days when I was in the whirlwinds which was a Band in North Manchester with Howard Jacobson's um, brother, Stephen, was in the band. Uh, All the parents would come to the gigs. I mean, places they would never, ever go in their lives, like Bernard Manning's uh, Embassy Club, the 11th Working Men's Club, because we were playing all over the place, but our parents would come. But they absolutely loved it.
0: And do you feel you were an early starter of the Manchester music scene?
1: No, there were people before us, but when we started playing proper gigs, there'd been quite a few Manchester artists that had been in the charts. I mean, we're talking about sort of the early 60s. Uh, but it that, was a bit later um, on, during the mid-60s, that I and my contemporaries sort of became part of that revolution of, uh, uh, that, that occurred in, uh, in the UK.
2: So you grew up really in a sort of showbiz, arty family. But the music, did that come from mum?
1: No, it didn't. No, we think the music actually came from my dad's mother. I think she was from Poland originally. And I think sometimes, or I've been told that sometimes a a gift, as I call it, misses a generation. But she was very, very musical. Whereas my dad was more of a wordsmith. But my mum was very good with words, very good at uh, writing letters and helped me also with Although my dad was very instrumental, helping me with the lyrics. She was very good in sort of looking at, uh, you know, if you're writing a letter or, you, you know, she was very, made things very concise. She was quite gifted in that. And, and actually, I've got a lovely picture in my mind of my dad when he was writing his plays of her typing for him and, and him sort of dictating to her. And uh, it, was a, it was a lovely scene that I, I have in my, uh, in my head about that.
0: Uh, Did they have um, lofty ambitions for you, or were they very happy that you took the dramatic and um, showbiz route?
1: I was very lucky in that I was terrible at school. I wasn't interested in anything but music, and they recognised I had a gift and encouraged it. Whereas a lot of my contemporaries were cleverer than me, so they were encouraged to, you know, get a real job. But my parents were great, you know, and always encouraged me. I was really lucky in that respect. It could have been a lot different. You know, they could have said, you know, you need to study and do this and do that.
2: Your family sounds very warm, uh, the way you describe your parents. Sounds in sort of almost idyllic childhood and that you were the child prodigy almost. When did the <laughs> music bug start or do you remember? Or were you always yes. musical?
1: Yeah, no, it started when I was about seven. I used to listen right. to what was the the light program or the home service, whatever it was. But all the music that you, I was listening to then, as as a as a real youngster, was um, kind of big band stuff. But I remember my mum had a um, a handbag that had a kind of like a serrated surface on it, and I used to get a couple of clothes brushes and play the handbag as if it was a like a snare <laughs> drum. So I have to thank my mum for that.
0: So it's kind of like a Jewish version of Skiffle or something.
1: Yeah, something like that.
0: (laughs) So this is very interesting, Grant. You obviously are, you know, you brought pleasure through 10CC, through your own independent songwriting for the songs like For Your Love and Bus Stop that predate 10CC and the things you've written during and post. You know, brought masses of pleasure to so many people. Did you have a a moment when you thought this is something I almost don't understand? I remember hearing an interview with Paul McCartney recently and he said he doesn't try and analyse the magic he just sort of accepts it for what it is because, you know, he famously dreamt up yesterday in his sleep and um, he doesn't try and sort of deconstruct because he thinks there's always a danger in that. Being Jewish, being in that Jewish household, you know, everybody's having conversations and your parents, Jaime and Betty, very invested in what you're doing, which is wonderful. And not telling you to be a chartered accountant. Did you all have conversations about where's this coming from? Other than the gifts, it skips a generation
1: never and and what mccartney said is true you don't want to know how it happens because when you are creating something i describe it as chasing the song so i've started something off and i'm hearing what the next part is in my head but it, it there's different things it's almost like the song was already in your head like mccartney you know woke up and there was yesterday Once it starts, it just comes out, and most songwriters will tell you the same thing. And the the great songs, or the best ones, come out really, really quickly. I don't want to know the science or the mechanics of it. I'm not interested. I'm just happy that it happens, and it still happens.
0: So it's interesting that you know it sort of almost goes against the Jewish genetic way of approaching things, which is saying, "How does this work? How? Where did that come from?"
1: I know. I think some things should remain a mystery. So let's leave it at that, Uh, because. If you analyse it too much and start thinking about the mechanics of it, it might spoil it or it might even take it away.
2: Do you have a favourite song out of all your songs? And you're still creating now, you say.
1: What I, how I answer that, I'll answer how I usually answer it. I was uh, inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame in 2014. And wow. they ask you, if you're a writer, performer, they ask you to perform one song. So there you are. You know, you are put on the spot. And uh, I wrote. I chose to sing uh, "Bus Stop,"
0: oh, which I wrote for the Hollies in
1: 1966.
0: We love "Bus Stop." We do. The year I was
2: born. Yeah, <laughs> <and> <laughs> it, me too.
0: Um, so your early Jewish life. Did you have a big family? Or did you were you sort of influenced as well as your parents? Do you have siblings? Paint a picture of what your early okay, your childhood
1: so, was like. Uh, I grew up in in Cavendish Road. Uh, um, around the corner. <laughs> around the corner. And uh, it was a happy childhood. I'm, I'm an only child. Uh, but the, where we lived, there were lots of children my age. So it was sort of after school. I can remember, you know, going out with my friends. Behind where we lived, there was a kind of, it appeared to me to be like a forest. It's probably just a few trees um. now. So we got on our bikes and it was very free. Our parents were very free. You know, they didn't seem to be mollycoddling us. Of course, we were, were aware of different dangers now for children. And we didn't seem to be aware of it that much. So it was a happy, happy childhood. What I do remember, uh, because of uh, my parents' theatrical connections, on a Friday night, people would come in after a show quite late and visit my parents. And there were all sorts of exotic characters that I used to... I, I would be upstairs and i'd'd I'd hear them get out of bed and sort of look over the banister and listen to what they were they were saying there was one gentleman I do remember his name but i won't I won't say it but I found him very exotic very he was always wearing silk scarves and I suspect he was wearing makeup so that was a my sort of first <laughs> encounter of someone that was gay actually that was a, a friend of my parents and uh, and it was great i loved listening to the sound of them and, and the and the sort of like a party atmosphere but my dad i owe a lot to because of not only you know he's a very creative man but also you know he was a big uh, helped me very much with the, the the songs that i wrote in the 60s
0: So, Graham, you're the only child of of really encouraging parents. Um, You're you're living in North Manchester, which is quite a hub of Jewish life and where where we still live, actually. And uh, in fact, we're doing this podcast not very far from your childhood home. Um, okay. for the showbiz detail for you. Um, you mentioned Friday night, interesting people coming in. In terms of Jewish life, either cultural or traditional, was your mum the typical Jewish homemaker of that time? Um, yes. Do you remember that, you know, vats of chicken soup bubbling on the stove? It, what, what are your yeah. recollections there?
1: Bless her, she was not the greatest cook in the world. However, mm-hmm. her chop liver chicken soup, and she used to do a chicken in the pot, which my eldest son, Louis, he would die for it. It was was like his favourite thing he'd ever eaten. Were fantastic. And when she made fried fish and I had it, I could eat it and not stop. I could carry on eating it. I had to stop myself. There was something, some sort of motherly love that was put into the fish that affected me and uh, I, I i do miss that i must
0: say oh, oh we'll send you some go i'm surrounded by really good jewish cooks here we okay, can send you okay packets. well if
1: they're, if they're fish yeah. balls i'm a harsh critic so uh,
0: okay. okay i mean do you do any traditional jewish cooking now is there is there anything i
1: i, I, I do like to cook um, myself but um myself and my wife we don't do anything we don't cook anything traditionally, but we do have bagels and smoked salmon quite often on Sunday and the family comes round.
0: And have you like wanted to replicate a, a warm Jewish family household and atmosphere in the same way?
1: Our life is slightly different. You know, I travel a lot. I think the only parallel is probably the bagels on Sunday that are getting <laughs> together and, you know, seeing my kids or, and the grandchildren. I love that.
0: So Graham, um, you obviously you you were at school in Manchester. You played with various Manchester bands before forming the Mockingbirds. And your first record, Columbia, they they rejected your your first single for your love, which obviously became a huge hit for the Yardbirds. Yeah. Um, did you think then? Um, and maybe this is the Jewish showbiz gene coming out. I'm going to be the craftsman offstage, stage, the Tin Pan Alley man, writing songs. Or did you feel, I want to be out there, I want to front it out and and let the world see me sing?
1: I was very, very happy to be a kind of jobbing songwriter, if you like. I knew I would always play in bands, even if it was like in pub bands or just local bands or just getting together just to play with other people just for the pleasure of it. So I was quite happy with that because a lot of people said, oh, you gave the songs away. But I didn't actually... I was very happy that they were being done by people at the arbors and the hollis and hermits. Hermits, it wasn't a problem for me, but of course, when we formed Ten CC, then that all changed.
0: So um, you formed Ten CC in 1972 with Eric Stewart, Kevin Godley, and Lol Cream. So two other Jewish boys. Were there other Jewish mothers hovering in the margins, sort of, yes. you know, saying, "Our boys, my boy needs to have more of a drum solo or?" A...
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, we didn't. We didn't get any of that, but I know. We used to rehearse in uh, Howard Jacobson's parents' house. In one of the early bands, uh, Max, the, uh, uh, Howard's late father, used to drive us round, and um, and he was a taxi driver. We used to call him Max the Tax, and he he was lovely to be with. Yes, yeah, so whoever, whether it was Bernard Basso's parents, when we go there, you know, we'd always get fed. Uh, as far as I remember,
0: yeah. <laughs> more like chicken soup on tap rather than. Um... Musical advice. Yes. What was your first real taste of success in terms of, obviously, in terms of record sales, but in terms of being somebody living in the local community? Where did you get the feeling? Because we're very, still very much like this round here in North Manchester. If we know somebody's got a bit of celeb about them, we love it. <laughs> we treat them as one of our own. Do you remember walking down the street and people? Stopping you, or did you have to move off to London fairly quickly? No, no.
1: The the first thing I remember was when "For Your Love" came out uh, in 1965, and I was I was walking somewhere in town, and someone in front of me was singing the chorus. Oh wow! Oh, that's pretty cool. I I like that. That was great. That
2: must have been the most amazing moment to be honest. Yeah, It it made it feel real.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've had I've had quite a few moments like that, so. But that was, I think, the first, that's the first one that comes to mind.
2: That of your children followed in your footsteps? My eldest oh, okay. son,
1: Louis, is the president of Ireland Records, so he's done really, really well. So he was always a lover of music and very good at recognising talent in other oh. people. I did teach him a bit of guitar, which he never pursued, but he's done incredibly well in the music business.
0: Did you um, have a bar mitzvah at which you performed and enjoyed performing?
1: I did have a bar mitzvah. There was actually a photo of me in, I don't know whether it was a Telegraph or was it the Jewish Gazette? Was that the yeah.
0: other one? Yeah. <laughs> there was
1: an article that after I'd finished my piece, the Chazan kissed Me, which was oh. pretty cool. And uh, I don't really remember that much about it, but they say it was rather good. Maybe the Bimmer was my first uh, outing on stage.
0: I mean, there is a performance element to the bar mitzvah. At which synagogue were you, did you have the bar
1: Now you've started me thinking about the sort of being up there on stage and getting a great reaction. You go, oh, I like this. You know, I'm
0: going to do this again. (laughs) And just in terms of playing instruments, it's not just the exclusive preserve of Jewish people. Um, there are lots of ambitious parents who will stick a recorder or a clarinet or something under their child's nose, You know, especially if music lessons are offered at school. Did you gravitate towards the guitar or were you offered piano lessons? How, how did you find the way to instrumentally express yourself? In music? Uh, OK,
1: well, I, I, my first love was the drums. My parents got me some drum lessons with a friend of theirs who was a professional drummer, but it didn't work out. But then when I was 11, uh, my late cousin Ronnie bought me a a guitar back from Spain. It was a really battered old thing. But I I remember on the first day, I kind of made up this little chord sequence. So it wasn't actually a song, but it was a little tune. And I absolutely fell in love with it. So this was at the time of skiffle, encouraging parents, listening to great music, you know, that was on the light programme. And all these things sort of informed me at that time of what I wanted to do. And so from that time on, you know, I just thought about music all the time and became like obsessed with it. I still am.
0: So your father's dramatic, uh, I'm not sure what sort of plays he put on, but you didn't fancy treading the boards in that direction?
1: No, not at all. No, I just wanted to play the guitar and sing and and play with other people. That was really important to me. My next door neighbour but one, Harley Rose, who I'm still very friendly with, he played the guitar, and we used to we we were kind of like North Manchester Ebbly Brothers, but not quite as good. <laughs> you know.
0: think that's something to do with being an only child as well? You like the camaraderie of being in a band?
1: I'm sure there's a lot to do with it because i I was always forming bands as well, so maybe I was sort of bringing together a band of brothers, you know, if you like. It could have something to, uh, you know. I'm no shrink, but that makes sense.
2: <laughs> and and your life partner is she musical too? Uh,
1: no, but she's a music lover. And for the actually for the first time in my life, I've got a muse. I've never had a muse before, but uh, Ariella has has inspired such a lot of songs that I've written in in recent years. Um, How
0: wonderful!
1: Yeah, How it's wonderful. fantastic.
0: So, Graham, you have this perfect storm of obviously the talent, the gift, which we it just comes from somewhere. Noel Gallagher, the other famous musical son of Manchester yeah. <laughs> from Oasis. He's I remember listening to him on an interview and he says, These songs drop out the sky. And he thought, if I don't grab them, somebody else will. So you've <laughs> got the talent, you have the encouraging parents, you've not got anybody breathing down your neck saying, Why can't you be an accountant? Um, you then obviously form various bands. 10cc formed, and you start releasing what will become a fantastic canon of music. Do you think there were any at all, uh, tell me if I'm stretching the point, Jewish influences in any of your melodies?
1: I've no doubt about it. Not only because I'm Jewish myself, but a lot of the, the early songs that I wrote, like For Your Love, No Milk Today, Bus Stop, were all in minor keys. I always gravitated towards the minor keys. So I heard a lot of that in shul. And it always appealed to me. It was much more soulful songs in a minor key, more emotional. Uh, so I think that was definitely an influence. The, the melody of the first song on Col Nidra is quite moving. Yeah, and also um, I love the Hattic, but I think it's just a beautiful, mm-hmm. lovely melody.
0: You're having fantastic recognition, huge recognition, not least with your Ivan Novello award-winning I'm Not In Love, which has mm-hmm. topped countless polls for, um, apart from the awards that it rightfully garlanded, but also, you know, the song people want to get married to. They want to, it's quite yeah, Jewish, yeah. So they want to be buried to. They, they, they want do a lot of things to, to it. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, this is a family show. Um, Do you remember playing it to your parents for the first time?
1: I don't. You know, the thing I remember about playing to my parents for the first time was uh, the Sgt Pepper album, uh, Mm -hmm. and they absolutely loved it. That was quite important. But, of course, a lot of the songs that I wrote sort of before I'm Not In Love was uh, songs like Bus Stop or No Milk Today. I wrote in, uh, you know, at home in our we'd actually moved from Cavendish road when i started writing songs when i was a sort of late in my late teens uh, we were living in kingston close off, off newhall road actually we we actually we downsized because my mum always wanted a flat that was her dream to have a flat and, and when they bought the flat my mum was so happy and that that flat although it wasn't a big flat that's where i did all my early wrote all my early songs a lot of them with my dad and where people came and gathered because of the music, you know, other musicians that I worked with used to come to the flat. and It was great, and my mum no. was always obviously making sure that everybody ate. Of
2: course, a real Yiddish of mama. Yeah. How did mum feel seeing you on TV? Did they comment on that? Uh,
1: yeah, yeah, they're always very complimentary. Not you should get your hair cut or anything like that. <laughs> yeah. Or oh, you're not what you're wearing that for. No, there were. I must say that we, they never gave me a hard time, really.
2: So were they like that even in, as you got older and they got older, the relationship stayed this it loving stayed the same very close? I was
1: very, very close. I mean, after my dad died, my mum kept on living in Manchester. But then everybody was in London. My eldest daughter, Sarah, had moved to America. Louis had come down to London before he had a family. Uh, I was here and... She came to live in London and she was very happy here. Of course, she was brought up in London. She was actually born in Manchester, moved to London, lived in London, and then came back to Manchester later on. So she was happy to move here. And when, in her later years, she lived in uh, sort of assisted living near where we lived, which was vital because, we, you know, I could see her a lot. And then we said, it's time for her to go into a nursing home. And she was absolutely great about it. Ariella and I were quite nervous about Mm -hmm. suggesting it, but she said, you're right, it's time, because she was not looking after herself very well. This was obviously in her later years, and she accepted it, and she was always very, very sensible. That's one of the things. She was down to earth and very sensible, practical, didn't get, you know, hysterical about things, you know, even though bad things happened, It was just the way she was. And, How long ago
0: uh, did, did she pass away?
1: She passed away in, in 2018.
0: She lived to a tremendous age, Graham, didn't she? She lived to a 100. Age, which wow. is quite remarkable. Yeah. Just to spool back, when you started becoming really well known as Graham Goulburn right in front of the camera, as opposed to the, you know, the songwriter crafting way at the side of the stage, uh, on top of the pops and albums and magazine covers and world tours and all those other things, What about the girls? As a mother of three sons, and uh, Lynn also has three sons, Naomi has girls, and we've both got a daughter as well. But (laughs) but thinking of boys, you know, there's always that thing of um, who's good enough for my boy. How did your mum in particular deal with the adulation? I imagine you must have lots of girls chasing after you. How did she deal with all that?
1: Well, she never saw it, did she? Yeah, well, you know the famous thing what goes on the road stays on the road.
0: Yeah.
1: But she would have not been happy. But uh, what's, yeah. a, what's a boy to do?
0: The greater excesses of rock and roll life that yeah. um, your parents were kept away from. Definitely.
1: Seriously. We were never a band to, um, we never threw out any TVs out of windows or. Anything like that? There was no, there was no real, real excess of anything.
0: Was there ever a moment when you brought a melody to your parents, or they heard something, and they would say, "Wow, where did that come from?" If my son came down the stairs and said, "Can I just play this to you?" and so started singing, "I'm not in love," you know, it would blow my head off. What was the reaction? song? Yeah, because
1: songs? you wouldn't expect him to do that. So, right. but remember that my parents. Obviously I lived with them for a very long time. Yeah, and was making music in the house and other musicians. So music always was was in the house anyway. So that it wouldn't have been a massive surprise, but they yes, they often did say, wow, that's a beautiful song. That sounds lovely.
0: So even when you were uh, received the Ivan Novello Award, yeah. it was I remember how Jacobson, you've mentioned who we've interviewed in a previous podcast, his mum was very much when, when he was nominated for the booker, it was kind of slayed yes. fingers, she didn't want to know.
2: Well, with with
0: you, it's almost like it was kind of not in an arrogant way. It was expected. Well, of course he's going to win. He's gifted.
1: He's my son, isn't he? (laughs) Yes. My
0: son, the songwriter.
1: Help, my son, the songwriter's drowning. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it was, I think, you know, there was a a lot of felling. What can I say? And, and you know, it was marvellous with my mum because she used to come to gigs. And I remember the last time she came to the Palladium and it was my birthday. And... We finished a song called Feel the Benefit. It's a 10 song. And I explained that the title came from something my mum used to say to me. And it is, you know, if, you, if I came in from the cold, she'd say, take your coat off now, Graham, because when you go out again, you'll feel the benefit. And I remember mentioning that to uh, Eric Stewart, who I wrote the song with, and said, that's great. And so the, the song came from the title. And we played the song, and I said, I explained to the audience that where the title came from. And then I said, and my mum is here tonight. And she stood up, and I've already got the guy, our lighting guy, I told him where she was sitting, put a spotlight on her. She she stood up, and she took a bow like a... (laughs) It was incredible, and everybody remembers that moment and still tells me about it. But she was very happy, so she was quite, you know, no shrinking violet she you know she was very happy to get up and uh, take the adulation and quite right
0: are you still performing and you say you're obviously still writing songs and traveling a lot and how have you have you mastered any modern technology are you strictly old school when it comes to no I'm pretty good
1: with technology but Mm. that's why you have kids in case (laughs) you can't figure something out I'm pretty good with it I have to say yes we actually did two major british tours this year next year we're doing scandinavian tour going to australia and new zealand holland and then i can't remember what but it's been a really this year and next year very busy a lot that's due to the fact of the pandemic you know things have had to be pushed forward Mm. so very happy to be back um with the band again
0: just one, other, one question, just spooling back towards 10TC before we, we talk a little bit about the, the future, before we finish. Um, 10TC with three Jewish boys and, and one non-Jewish boy. So did it become quite a Jewish band? Was there a lot of Yiddish? Was there a lot of... Would you? Would somebody Jewish on the outside, listening to the four of you chatting, have yeah. thought... Um. This is so Jewish. And and how did how did I know it's hard to speak for other people, but Eric Stewart in particular, being the person who wasn't Jewish, did he start adopting your ways?
1: Uh, no, we weren't sort of overtly Jewish. We weren't uh, Eric, sit, eat, you know, it wasn't <laughs> there was none of that. But the what's interesting now is that I dropped the odd Yiddish word. We travel around a lot together in the band, although you know the band is the different personnel now. But one of the boys who, ironically, his father is a priest and he loves Yiddish words. So he'll say, you know, we've been talking about this, shine with the guitars already. You know, he'll he'll drop the odd thing or it's schlepping somewhere. And he he loves because he loves language. That's why he likes to hear the odd and use the odd Jewish word. He's, He's big on noch. Do you know where we're playing next year? the Royal Albert Hall, the Royal wow. Albert Hall, oh,
0: you know. <laughs> Obviously, we can't live forever, although you have created a magical world which will live forever because your songs will succeed all of us, till 120, mm-hmm. as we say in, in, right. the, in Yiddish PG. But, but, But they will. But when you are standing, even now, on the stage of the Albert Hall, do you think, oh, Mum, Dad... I wish you could hear this. I know they saw a lot of your career, but you're still producing beautiful music. Do, how does that feel in your heart? I, they, I do
1: think about so I through. do think about that. I wish you were here and uh, with my mum and my dad. and if you believe well, whatever you believe, maybe they Are witnessing things, but who knows?
0: Now, just looking to the future, do you write in a different way now? Are you, you've talked about the Jewish echoes of the past, the evening prayer from the the Day of Atonement from Kol Nidra. Are there still those strong Jewish influences?
1: The influences I had growing up, the music that I was lucky enough to listen to during my formative years. This is one of the other elements that I didn't say was the era that I grew up with. So as a young teenager listening to Cliff and the Shadows, the Skiffle era, all the American artists like the Eberle brothers, Eddie Cochran, Buddy Holly, Little Richard, and then the Beatles, uh, who were my biggest and still are my biggest influence. So I was born at exactly the right time, had the right influence, being encouraged by my parents, meeting the right people, and just having, I guess, being quite ambitious as well, and surrounding myself with other musicians.
0: And just finally, Graham, it's been such a great pleasure listening to you and listening to it, that, that you've been willing to share about your family and your influences. We're all kind of, we're kvelling, <laughs> which are, for those who, are not, those who are not familiar with that, Yiddish, kvelling is um, you're bursting with pride. and Pride, and yes, with pride, yeah. Massive pride. Like swelling, that, yeah. like yeah. swelling yeah. almost. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely, swelling, swelling yes. Just finally, the two questions are, you're still performing songs you've written years ago. That must be, you know, something that you probably couldn't compute at the time. And also, do you still have the ambition?
1: It's what I do. So it's are. as simple as that. And the mechanics of writing are exactly the same as they ever were. I can't tell you, I could tell you simply, you know, you sit down with a guitar and start messing around and suddenly you get a chord sequence that inspires a melody that inspires a mood, that inspires a lyric, and all of a sudden, almost like before you know it, you're going, "Oh, I've got something here, this is nice. And playing the songs that are nearly as old as me, because <laughs> I started writing quite fairly young anyway. It's wonderful to create something that's kind of timeless. It's fantastic.
0: Do you still have that moment when you're sort of, I don't know, you're nipping through Tesco and, and you hear dredge lock holiday coming out over the tannoy you think oh that's me
1: yeah yeah I do and there's a, a split second where you go i definitely know this oh yes I, <laughs> I wrote that or i co-wrote it yeah
0: well it's been glorious talking to you it really has graham my pleasure
1: hours. my pleasure um,
0: we're all big on jewish mother me we talk about takeaway wisdom either from jewish matriarchs we've known ourselves our own mothers or others that we've picked up
1: i have to i'm afraid repeat myself but Take your coat off or you won't feel the benefit.
0: We love that. We love that. You know, when you hear a word sequence like that, does that in itself inspire the music? When you hear a phrase?
1: Absolutely. I I came home one day and I'd been talking to my dad about writing a song about meeting a romance starting at a bus stop. I came home and he'd written, bus stop, wet day, she's there, I say, please share my umbrella. And I saw the words and I heard the melody.
0: That's amazing. That's amazing. uh, Like I say, we've all been absolutely thrilled that that you've been speaking to us. And we hope uh, in the process, Graeme, that we've sort of, I'm sure your own memories walk with you all the time, but we've stirred up some other thoughts about Jewish life. Fishballs. Lynn is already twitching to get the frying pan on, aren't you? Yeah. (laughs)
1: Yeah, go for it.
0: <laughs> so you have to come and eat some yeah, next time right, you're in Manchester. Right. Round Cavendish Road or um, you know <laughs> upper, upper part road. But Graham, thank you so, so much. We look forward to loads more music, more dates. Come and see us in Manchester. I know you get a wonderful reception anywhere you go in yeah. the world. Well, we we've
1: actually we'll be coming in not next year but 2024. We'll be at the I, Bridgewater Hall.
0: We're gonna be on the front row okay.
1: throwing well, fish then, balls at you. Bring the fish balls. Don't throw the fish balls on stage.
0: You have been listening to the Jewish Mother Me podcast with our star guest, Graham Goldman. And if you want to let us know if there's anything you'd like to hear on Jewish Mother Me, you can find us on Instagram and on Spotify and, and on, on Facebook. Facebook. And we thank also Phil Salter from Northern Air Productions for making all the whistles and bells work. And we say thank you because we are in love with you. <laughs> We're not in not love enough- We are in love with you, Graham. You've been amazing. Thank you and be well. Thanks a lot. It's been my pleasure.
1: Bye-bye.